Hello, this is Doug Wyatt, and I want to welcome you to our podcast series, Considering Christianity as a Scientist. And this is podcast number 17, where we are going to discuss repentance, sacrifice, and baptism. This podcast is a result of questions that I have been asked from listeners in earlier podcasts. And there are some things that we can consider using our scientific thought process and our ability as scientists to reason and rationalize our belief system. For those just joining us, I am a Ph.D. scientist, a geologist, geophysicist, published with patents and a long history of managing major science and engineering research programs. I am a Christian. Many of my friends and acquaintances in science and technology, engineering, and many others I have chatted with on various occasions have discussed their thoughts on Christ and Christianity, the Creator God, the Bible and human history, and often how difficult it is to reconcile belief with science. I fully understand and have struggled with this myself. Science and Christian beliefs are often hard to reconcile, particularly in our modern technological world. Yet I know that many of you feel, sense, hear, a quiet whisper, a deep sense need for something greater, larger, and more meaningful than ourselves. I want you to consider, and for us to discuss, that this is our Creator God calling to you personally and how to accept this. The questions that were asked of me were presented in this concept, or this framework. If we have this supreme deity, this supreme God, who knows everything we do, think, everything in the universe, why do we have to go through these steps of repentance and baptism and why do we have to make sacrifices and things like that? Why is that recorded all through the Bible? It should just be us and God. Well, that is a very good question for people who like to understand and reason with their beliefs and their understanding of the universe. So that's what I want to discuss today. And and we're going to start with this concept of repentance. Now, repentance also has inherent in its concept uh, another step, another thought process that that we call confession. And we'll briefly touch on that. But let, let us begin to talk about repentance. Let's consider the word repentance a little bit. Uh, Everybody knows what words are that sort of start with re, redo, rethink, repeat, reconsider. Repent is sort of one of those words. And it is a meaning of reviewing your actions and feelings and then feeling regret for them and expressing that internally externally but that's and then just not doing those things that you regretted anymore that's that's sort of the concept of repentance 
But when we think about what is written in the Bible, what is described in Christianity by Christ himself and then those followers of his that provided the documents that we read uh, in our Bible today as it was inspired by the Spirit to them, the Greek word really means so much more. Repentance, repent, is a weak English translation of what that Greek word implied. And it's the Greek word I think we should understand as scientific thinkers because it means so much more. It has been a long time since I have studied my biblical Greek, so my pronunciation may be way off, but I hope that our meanings and our deliberations are spot on. But the Greek word that we're going to discuss today is metanoeo. Metanoeo. Before we get into the depth of meaning of that term and what the New Testament writers were telling us, let's talk a little bit about confession. I just want to mention confession. In order for us to consider that we've done something wrong, we have to admit it. We have to realize it. We have to understand that, hey, you know, maybe we did something wrong here or we did something wrong and I truly regret it. And we either have to confess that with ourselves, with others, or with God. But that process of confession is acknowledging, avowing, admitting that we have sinned, done something that is wrong, and then admit that to God or to others, and it can be internal or external. When we do that, it is very cathartic for us as individuals and humans to be as detailed and specific as we can, even if we're just internalizing that. I did this or that, I did this or that, I did this or that. Not just a generic, oh well, I was bad today. It is specifics. It is very cathartic, but that is confession. We have to realize it. We have to understand it. We have to confirm to ourselves and admit to ourselves that we did it. And then we have to tell somebody, even if it's us internally talking to God. Confession is the process of us examining ourselves. Confession is required for repentance. For metanoeo. So let's dive a little bit deeper into repentance. In the Old Testament, the Israelites were told to repent all the time. Uh, the Old Testament is just a litany of the Israelites as they developed into a nation of sinning, of messing up, doing things badly. Uh, forgetting about the God who brought them out of Egypt, forgetting about the God of Abraham in favor of local idol deities. And they were constantly called by the prophets to repent. Well, so repentance was a concept that was very familiar to the Jews of Jesus' day. But in New Testament Greek, Metanoeo is a much more involved concept 
word than just the simple English repentance. It involves a change of mind, a deep regret or remorse. It's, it's something that's deep within us. It's something that consumes us as something we've done wrong. It's a desire to change our mind forever going forward from the point where we are. In the New Testament recording of the teachings of John the Baptist, the word metanoeo is used as an indicator of we need to break with the old, we need to start with the new, and we need to turn to God. In the recorded statements of Jesus, the word metanoeo is used, or its various derivatives, as part of Jesus' teaching about metanoeo being required, repentance, for forgiveness of sins. In truth, as we think about metanoeo and its various spellings and pronunciations for different meanings, it's a compound word. It's actually made of two specific Greek words. Meta, which all scientists understand, means after or with. It's, it's sort of a preposition. And then the verb neo means to perceive and to think. The result of perceiving or thinking. So this concept of metanoeo means, oh, I've thought about this and I was wrong. I understand what it is I did and I need to do something differently. It's, it's a deeply meaningful word for what Jesus wants us to do to turn back to God. It also has an implication in the meaning of word of thinking beyond ourselves. We think about, we perceive what we've done, but we perceive how we've done this and what we've done and how that means a change looking beyond ourselves or beyond the future is necessary. It's, it's a deeply, deeply rich word. The word implies that we repudiate what we have believed or how we have acted and we're going to do something different. We change our mind, not just yes to no, but no to we're going to do this from now on. Atonement. And, and this, this change, this feeling of understanding that we've been going the wrong direction and it's time to go a new and different direction is part of the conversion process of becoming a Christian. It implies painful sorrow for the way you have been doing so we really need to change. It's, it's uh, often referred to as remorseful regret. It's having that sense of personal grief over how you have been doing or acting and seeking the joy or the relief of not doing that anymore. Metanoia is a conjunction a combination of thought, mind, and action. It is a change of mind, a change of character, a fundamental change in thinking and living. 
we sort of withdraw from ourselves and turn towards those things which are godly turn towards God in the in the Bible it's often referred to as laying aside the old and putting on a new mind sometimes it's referred to as being born again starting completely over from that point forward what's interesting about metanoia and the concept of the word is you start from that point and go forward everything that was previous is gone and that's the teaching of Jesus he's forgiven us for all of these sins as long as we have this conversion this metanoia this repentance this change of mind and move forward following him fundamentally this word that's been translated as repentance is a very different word than what we consider typically as repentance I have often heard repentance the way it's currently used in most modern Christian churches and historical Christian churches as a form of repentance. We do something bad, we repent, we're forgiven, we move on. Another point in time, we're going to do something bad, we repent, we're forgiven, we move on. And this happens over and over many times, multiple times a day, multiple times a week, multiple times a month. And it's often, I've heard it, heard it often referred to as repentance. That's not what this word means. This word means a fundamental change. Doesn't mean we're always going to be perfect, but it means a fundamental change in our thought and our approach and our beliefs towards God and our fellow man. For the writings of Paul, he applies that this word metanoia is a it's it's a transfiguration of your brain it's it's a complete change it's a rewiring of your brain that opens an entirely new future that's inherent in his writings and in his teaching he understood the greek meaning of this word metanoia noia and and jesus was saying in his teaching as well this word we're discussing and it's its fundamental translation as repent has been cited by some biblical scholars as probably the worst uh, misinterpretation of the Greek that's in our current New Testament. That's, that's probably a bit strong, but the word needs to be understood as something that Jesus was teaching, that Paul was teaching, that the other disciples were teaching, it's something so much greater than what we just assume when we hear the English word repent. I sort of think of it this way. I'm a geologist, so when I hear the word meta, I hear the word change. Uh, and I think about metamorphic rocks. And I think about marble. Marble is the metamorphic rock version of carbonate rocks or limestone. It's one of the few metamorphic rocks where we really know what its provenance was. However, pure common limestone can be metamorphosed into beautiful marble, something completely different, something magnificent. And then that marble can be translated, 
transfigured, changed into the statue of David or parts of grand cathedrals or anything that you can imagine marble being used for as beautiful. That's sort of what Jesus is telling us with metanoia. And I have, I, have, I have to admit, I have changed my pronunciation a little bit. It, it, it varies. But we can forget what we were if we admit it. That's the confession part. We can look forward. We can change ourselves. It's a, it's, it's a permanent change. It's a significant change. It is a complete rewiring of our thought processes, our emotions, our actions, uh, our understanding, a rewiring of ourselves internally and externally towards something bigger, greater, and beyond us to God, to the teachings of Jesus, towards our fellow man. That is what repentance really means when you consider the original word. Hopefully this discussion has helped us understand the step that the question was asked about of repentance. We were something old, we become something new. It's discussed in many different parables in the New Testament. It's taught by all of the disciples and the books that we have in our New Testament. So it's a step in the process of changing who we are and following God. Understanding the teachings of his son Jesus and following those teachings. So we have to admit that something is wrong and we've done things that we should not have. That's, that's the confession part. As the predecessor to this change, this repentance, and I don't even like to use the word repentance, this fundamental change, metanoeo, it's a fundamental change. That's the step that's required to become a Christian. And when you think about it from our perspective as a scientist, it makes perfect sense. It is something that needs to be done. It is something to go from old to new, from past to future something we do in the present to look forward. I hope this has helped us understand this concept of repentance. We discussed the concept of repentance and the depth of the meaning of the word that's translated as repentance. And I hope we understood that it's so much more. But when we repent, there's something that we do that gives us a feeling of perfection of accomplishment, of preparing ourselves for the next step 
in our life with God and Christ and that's baptism and the question that was asked about baptism is there are so many ways that different religious groups do baptism what does it really mean and does it really accomplish anything so I want us to talk a little bit about baptism and in all honesty the Greek word related to baptism or the two or three Greek words that are translated as baptism are so much easier to pronounce and I've gone back and listened to my discussion about repentance and my Greek pronunciations and even though my Greek professor is long deceased I apologize to him for pronouncing these words so poorly now I just don't seem to have the tongue for it that we had during my coursework so please accept my foibles in my Greek pronunciation I do believe my meanings and interpretation are correct one thing that's interesting as we discuss baptism is that it's an untranslated Greek word it's a word that's just carried over into the English so it's it's a word that would be recognized by somebody 2000 years ago if we were talking to them so the concepts associated with it have not had the translation issues necessarily associated with repentance it's understood the concept of repentance but it's a different Greek word it's actually a compound word for repentance so it means so much more baptism has a lot of subtle variations in its interpretation but in general the word is very specific so we're going to discuss that but one of the things about baptism we're going to discuss also is what what the act itself means there are two concepts when we t discuss baptism so often many modern churches get hung up on the method of baptism as opposed to the meaning of baptism in general most churches agree on the meaning of baptism it's a Christian belief but how it's done sometimes turns people off to Christianity and that's a sad thing so we're going to talk a little bit about that before we get into the details of how various denominational Christian churches perform the act of baptism let's talk about what it really means after people have realized that their life and their actions are not what they want and they discuss that with God a confession they make a decision to change and move forward from where they are and they repent metanoeo and then they perform this act called baptism as a symbolic act of starting new starting clean starting fresh you have to remember that historically people didn't bathe very often and now they have changed their mind their lifestyle they want to become new they want to become clean not just from sins but from the stain the impacts of their old life and the world they live in to become something new they want to be born again they want to start over remember the deep impact of this word repentance 
what it really means, how large of a word and meaning that really is. And to do that, Jesus commanded the act of baptism. It was something familiar to the people of the day. John the Baptist preached it. And it was familiar in the Jewish church from things that they did routinely uh, in the practice of Judaism. There were ritual things that archaeologists know well called mikvots. They were ritual baths. They are often excavated. And a person who wanted to clean themselves before they went into the temple or before they went into uh, some other religious setting where they were going to present themselves to God would go and clean themselves. They walked down into the water. They dipped themselves. They splashed themselves. They rubbed themselves to clean themselves and they would come out clean and fresh. Most modern people, especially in the Western world, bathe almost daily. I mean, to do something to clean ourselves, to present ourselves as fresh and new, going into the next step to whatever it is, is a very common concept. This is baptism, but with a much deeper meaning and with much deeper significance. And I'm not trying at all to diminish the act because this is a commanded act by Jesus for us to present ourselves to God, to start over in the process of being a follower and being a Christian. So it, it's a critical act, a critical function, and, and something we really need to consider the meaning of. In a nutshell, the act of baptism is a ceremonial cleansing of everything that we realize was separating us from God and Christ before we ceremonially wash it away and we emerge clean and new with a new start. Baptism is a ceremonial cleansing of our hearts, our minds, our souls, our spirits, and yes, our bodies as well. We all understand the meaning of the phrase to be clean. We all understand the meaning of the phrase to be dirty. Baptism cleanses us of everything that was in the past so that we start fresh and new in the paths that we've chosen to walk. Baptism also marks us as belonging to Jesus, as people who have decided that we will mark ourselves as Christians. It's not always a visible mark, but it is a spiritual and a mental mark. To be baptized has brought great relief to very many people that I know. It's like thousands of pounds were removed from their chest. Baptism is not only a cleansing, it's not only a symbol of rebirth, it's also a symbol of being marked. I am allowing myself to be branded by baptism. I am now belonging to Jesus. 
there are very large symbolisms in the Bible that are often associated with baptism. The Israelites, when they left Egypt, walking through the Red Sea, a symbol of baptism. There are many symbolic things like that that you find in the Bible. They are fascinating and they are well worth studying and reading. They help you believe in the fact that our relationship with God is true, it is ancestral, and it's a part of who we are. The early Christians in the first couple of hundred years of Christianity viewed baptism as a public renouncement of, of evil, of Satan. Get away from me, I am now baptized and cleansed and belong to Jesus. It was to them a protection. But fundamentally, the act of baptism is a symbol, an act that we give to ourselves, those around us, our fellow Christians, and a sign and symbol to God that we have chosen to become His and that we are going to fundamentally change how we do things to follow Him. So, baptism is that act of cleaning, marking, preparing ourselves to be in the presence of God from now on. Now, how baptism is done, there are many opinions about that and many ways that the Greek word itself, babto, baptize, baptizo, is understood to be meant from a process perspective. Okay, the word baptize itself, baptizo, means to be dipped, dyed, immersed, plunged, to dip in, to dip under, cleanse, purify, and and many concepts such as that. So various Christian organizations have taken these words to mean a different approach to baptism. I was raised in a fundamental Christian church where full immersion was required. I will tell you a story that's a bit humorous. I watched a young girl being baptized and the poor girl was almost drowned because they could not get all of her hair under the water. It tended to float. And so she came out of the water coughing and in in very bad state. She was okay, but that was an extreme case of believing in immersion baptism. I have seen other baptism where the minister performing the baptism just used a single finger in a small bowl of water to touch it to the forehead of the person being baptized. Those are two extremes. But they might fit within that definition that of, all, of all those definitions that we just mentioned. For me personally, I think the answer is somewhere in the middle. The general consensus of the meaning of the word is you need to place something into the water and cleanse it and then pull it out of the water. How that is done is going to require some sense of dipping or plunging, 
maybe not full immersion, but some sense of dipping or plunging, and then some sense of cleaning and purifying. I believe that the Jewish example of the use of the mikvats is probably a good example. You would go down into the water and then you could immerse yourself if you chose, you could splash yourself if you chose, you could wash yourself as necessary for you to cleanse yourself before God. It could vary by person. It's the act of baptism that God is looking for. I do not believe God is looking for a particular interpretation of the word baptize to be enacted upon. We have examples of how it was done by the people who understood it at the time and I believe that to be the archaeological view of how the Jews used the mikvats. And so I believe that baptism is an act of assisted self-cleansing. You will have others there who are baptizing you. You can go into the water and have them wash you. You can wash yourself. You can immerse yourself completely. You can immerse yourself partially and, and, and cleanse yourself. I think there are different ways to do that. And so I do know that there will be various opinions about my statement on this, but you can find a Christian church that will accommodate you for baptism. The goal is to baptize. The goal is to cleanse yourself before God and to start new, be born again, refreshed, something that you were not before. And that's the role of baptism. And that's what Jesus commanded. And you can be baptized in the desert with whatever water is available. You can be baptized on the seashore with all of the ocean present. There are many ways to do it. That's somewhat up to you. It could be up to the or Christian organization you choose to affiliate yourself with. It's the act that's important. That is baptism. We realize what we've done is wrong and we confess it. We decide to change. That's the repentance. That's the metanoia. Then we decide to be baptized. And that's the symbol that we are marked for Christ. We come out of that water a Christian. We come out of that water a son of God. We come out of that water a follower of Christ. We come out of that water something new and different than we were before because we have been born again. That's the reason that I wanted to include these three questions combined. Repentance and baptism. And now I want us to discuss a little bit which of that which might follow baptism, and that's sacrifice. The question was asked this way about sacrifice. As Christians, why do we need to sacrifice? Well, 
that's a little bit more difficult question to answer than you might just think on the face of it. When people think of sacrifice after they've been reading and studying the Bible and reading and studying history and archaeology and things like that, they think about, oh, the Mayans used to do human sacrifices. Are we supposed to sacrifice humans? Or the ancient Jews used to sacrifice bulls and sheep and rams and doves and pigeons and grains and things like that all the time. There are stories in the Bible recounting the sacrifice of 20,000 rams or bulls at a time. Huge, enormous sacrifices that were burning on fires outside the Jewish temple constantly before God. I will be quite honest. I don't understand that myself in my modern way of thinking. I do know that in the Old Testament, the Jews were commanded to sacrifice in this way. Abraham was commanded to sacrifice his son and was going to do so until God sent an angel to stop him. That was a sign of faith. Cain and Abel, going back to the original stories that are in Genesis, each sacrificed part of what they had produced as a symbol or an offering to God thanking him. Does the God we envision need us to provide him with anything material or anything made of matter? I don't believe so. And I don't really fully understand why it was so in the Old Testament except for this. Sacrifice was a way that a human could show to the deity, we could show God, that we appreciated what he had done for us. All we had was things. The ancient references we have in the Bible relative to sacrifice, uh, the oldest references are that we offered to God something that we had that was meaningful to us. Did God need it to survive? Did God need it to eat? Did God need it for some other reason? No. It was a sign. It was symbolic. Later, in the development of the Israelites as they became a nation, after they left Egypt, they had all of these bouts of being bad and being good, being bad and being good, uh, for a long period of time, and they were commanded to offer these incredible sacrifices. Uh, sometimes it, the Bible records 20,000 bulls at a time, for example. I think that was more of a demanded sacrifice. God did not need burned animal matter. He did not need to inhale the aroma from those offerings. But he did need to establish in the people he had chosen some sense of sacrifice. They were going to have to give up 
what was important to them in order to follow God because he had consistently tried to give them things for free and they consistently turned it away. So they weren't going to have to buy their way back to God, but they were going to have to show God that they were willing to do something meaningful to approach him in order for him to continue to support them in a meaningful way. Uh, that I'm not saying that the right way. God had selected them and he was going to support them. But in a way, I believe those sacrifices that are recorded in the Bible by the early Jews were all sacrifices that were penitential, that were given to them in order for them to constantly remember that we need to be good before God. We need to be right before God. And we have to sacrifice the best of what we have before God because that's what he wants. Jesus later taught something else. But that's what the sacrifice in the Old Testament was, in my opinion. In the New Testament, Jesus asked for sacrifices of ourselves. He asked us to give ourselves to God by following his teachings. That's a whole new concept. He doesn't want burnt offerings. He doesn't want grain offerings or offerings of libations or anything like that. He wants us. So the sacrifice we make at baptism is that we say we are giving our lives to Christ. We are going to be worshipers of God and followers of God through Jesus Christ. That's what baptism is. And that's a sacrifice. We may not go out and be able to do what we did before because what we were doing before was wrong or was not positive or was bad. We're going to give that up. That's a sacrifice. But then there's the implied meaning also of us sacrificing to help others. If we have plenty of food, we may need to help somebody who does not. We may need to give to the poor. We may need to help the widows and the orphans, as the Bible commands. We may need to do things with our resources that benefit others. That's part of being a Christian. That's part of being a follower of the Christ and part of being a son or daughter of God. That's what sacrifice means. Uh, There was an ancient way of doing it that I believe was meant to teach a lesson. Now there's a Christian way of doing things that I believe means to bring us to God. And that's, that's what sacrifice is. And I pray that this is understood and this meaning is true. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Considering Christianity as a Scientist podcast series. As scientific thinkers, we can evaluate our belief and, through understanding, develop a growing relationship with our Creator God. 
We can understand his history with mankind and the teaching of his son, the Christ, to bring us closer to him and to better our relationship with ourselves and save us from those who would destroy us. Our next episode is coming soon.